Everybody needs just the right amount of fuel to get going in the morning. For some, a nice McDonald's egg and cheese bagel is just enough to do it. Others might prefer a McDonald's bacon egg and cheese bagel. Or perhaps a sausage egg and cheese bagel. And there are those where nothing will do but a hearty McDonald's steak egg and cheese bagel. Four different breakfast bagels to get you going. Tomorrow morning, give your engine a head start at participating McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. There's a ring attendant. Oh! Your challenge has been accepted! There's no telling what we're going to see in the house. That's Paulie in there, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, you heard Vince correctly. The King's answer has been challenged. I think he was supposed to say the King's challenge has been answered. But I remember that night and Vince McMahon actually made quite a few mistakes. Uh, I think he called Stevie Richards Stevie Ray and still... One of my favorite Raw episodes of all time, ECW invading Monday Night Raw at the Manhattan Center, 1997, took place this week in history. A lot of people may forget that not only did ECW invade that night, but we were introduced to Ken Shamrock. He was sitting front row. Jerry Lawler went to interview him and saying that they trained together, they hung out, and Ken Shamrock looking all dumbfounded, basically calling Jerry Lawler a liar. We also had the return of the Road Warriors, the Legion of Doom. They hadn't been seen on WWF for several years. So they made their return to uh, WWE, and uh, it was a very memorable night. We will be playing some highlights from that night, especially since everybody absolutely loves Paul Heyman on the mic these days. Some of you out there that may have never heard the episode or watched it when ECW invaded in 97 Paul Heyman's commentary that night is a lot of fun. And Jerry Lawler and him going back and forth with their banter was great as well. So we'll play some clips of that later on. But first, the formal introductions. What's up, everyone? This is episode eight of This Week in Wrestling History. Now, yes, I know longtime listeners will realize there's been like 30 or 35 episodes. But in all actuality, this show officially started January 1st. And this show's evolved. I mean, everybody's loving the audio clips, and I go through so much footage to try to seek out some gems that you may have completely forgot about. And one of the ones that I pulled out this week is something that The Rock said to the Toronto crowd back in 2003. I mean, it was just hilarious to hear him. You know, he was a heel at that time. This was right smack in in the middle of his feud with Hulk Hogan. But one part of his promo that I still laugh to this day, whenever you hear someone do a cheap pop by, you know, announcing that or letting everybody know that, and I'm not saying this against Mick Foley, but everybody tries to do it right now, right here, Toronto. And when Mick Foley does it, it's cool and it's enjoyable. And he obviously doesn't do it anymore because he's not on TV. But back in 2003, when fans would pop because you mentioned their hometown, Rock had a different spin on it. Uh, uh, wait a minute. Are you, are you kidding the Rock? 
Are you kidding the rock? What? Is this the first time you've ever heard someone mention your city? Is that it? Oh, yay! Hooray! He said Toronto! Yay! Woo! Yay! That's where we live! We live in Toronto! Yay! Shut up! I listened to that. I still remember it. Funny, funny shit. But like I said, I do so much research every week now to try to pull gems that you may have forgot about. And, uh, yeah, there's other ones out there that are uh, not found over these years, but that's the pleasure of doing this show. You know, a year from now, when we redo these shows, two years from now, we'll always be adding different clips to it, and it's a lot of fun, and I absolutely am um, humbled by the appreciation of all of you out there. So, um, but again, as I was saying, this is episode eight. And if you haven't figured it out yet, the episode numbers coincide with the week number of the year. And I do that by design because when we you hear episode 26, you know that that's right smack in the middle of the year. So we'll be doing 52 episodes a year. And for those that are going to ask, well, what are you going to do a year from now? Well, it, maybe we'll do year two, week one. So, And like I said, we'll always be pulling different clips. So it'll be a lot of fun. So we should get into this, shall we? Without further ado, I present to you this week in wrestling history covering the period of February 19th through February 25th. Some very memorable moments this week in history. First off, 1978. Bob Backlund defeats superstar Billy Graham to win the WWF heavyweight title. This ended Billy Graham's run at 296 days. And, you know, the match is on the WWE Network. And if you watch the match, the match is okay. I mean, it ends in controversy because Billy Graham's foot was on the ropes. But just to show you how sometimes you got to question match of the year, wrestle of the year, this and that, and blah, 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 blah. You know, of course, the magazines back in the day, you know, played along. They didn't let the cat out of the bag. I mean, they were pretty much in kayfabe. I hate using terms like that because, you know, I don't wrestle, but that's what it was. But that year, this match won Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Match of the Year. Very surprising. But when you go back at that time at wrestling magazines, the one that I will always remember, it's not necessarily Match of the Year, Photo of the Year. I remember it was 1982. I can't remember who actually shot the photo. I don't know if it was Bill Aptor or not, but it was Snuka versus Backlund for the heavyweight title. Snooker was standing at the top of the cage. He did the Superfly Splash and missed. And they played off that he injured his ribs and Backlund got the pin. But one of the cameramen, uh, the photographers, got an awesome shot of Snooker standing at the top of the cage while Backlund was laid out on the mat. It was a really, really awesome photo. Not one photo of the year. And honestly, without a doubt, my favorite Probably my favorite photo of all time. You know, if you want to go later on, I mean, it really wasn't a photo. It was video. Um, but, you know, the the visual of Steve Austin completely bloodied WrestleMania 13, Bret Hart. So just one other note regarding this night when Backlund won heavyweight title, which a lot of you may not be aware of. If you ever watch old school WWF, network, YouTube, wherever you go, especially before the night that Backlund became heavyweight champ. 
If you ever watch the crowd when they pan the crowd, I don't know if you've ever said to yourself, wow, no kids at all, no young fans at all. You don't see any kids sitting rings, nobody. Believe it or not, prior to this night, anybody under the age of 14 was not allowed inside Madison Square Garden for the wrestling events. I kid you not. This night was the first time that Madison Square Garden, WWF, allowed fans in the crowd but, uh, under the age of 14. If you were between the age of 8 and 14 years old, as long as you were accompanied by an adult, you were allowed inside the building. So this might have been MSG's rule. I don't think it might have been WWF's rule because I have seen some old school WWF before back and won the title at different arenas and there were young fans there. Hey, I think to me, you know, I was I became a wrestling fan in 79 and I was a kid. I mean, I was under 14 and, you know, my grandmother used to take me to Ridgewood Grove Arena and some other places and I was always let in. I mean, granted, my uncle worked for WWF while he was at the Ridgewood Grove Arena, but still, I think I would have still been let in nonetheless. 1989, one of the, arguably one of the greatest matches of all time in Ric Flair's career, Ricky Steamboat's career that's actually on video, NWA Chi-Town Rumble. Ricky Steamboat defeated Ric Flair to win the NWA World Heavyweight title. This match is, from beginning to end, told such a wonderful story just smooth, and whenever you hear Steamboat and Ric Flair exchange respect in interviews, talking about their matches of yesteryear, if you have never seen their match from Chi-Town Rumble 89, go out of your way and watch it, and you'll understand why their feuds were some of the greatest of all time. 1990, Wrestle War 90, Wild Thing. And yeah, I think they came up with the name Wild Thing because of that song. What was what was that guy? Uh Tone Loke? You know, Wild Thing. I hated that song. Even when he was did the cameo in Andrew Dice Clay's Ford Fairlane. Yo, 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 nineteen ninety will be my fuck that. But it was Wrestle One ninety. Uh, this week in wrestling history, that Kevin Sullivan and Buzz Sawyer defeated the Dynamic Dudes, Shane Douglas and Johnny Ace. And this was the last time Shane Douglas and Johnny Ace would team up as the Dynamic Dudes. And I know for all of you wrestling fans that have been fans for a little while, you remember the Dynamic Dudes. And yes, we a lot of newer fans were reintroduced to Johnny Ace because he was the on-air character in WWF in recent years. But for those that remember the Dynamic Dudes, I wonder if you realize that they were not a tag team for all that long. And when I mean not that long, they started teaming up, if I recall, in May of 1989. And by February of 1990, which obviously is this week in wrestling history, they were done as a tag team. And, you know, when they originally came up, they weren't even called the Dynamic Dudes. I think they were called the New Generation or something like that. I remember they took on a Samoan SWAT team for their first ever match. Um, it was the same night, I think, that Flair took on Terry Funk. So, but anyway, 1991, Wrestle War, main event, War Games match, team of Larry Zabisco, Ric Flair, Barry Windham, and Sid Vicious over Sting, Brian Pillman, and the Steiners. This was WCW's first 
pay-per-view since splitting from the NWA promotion. We got to share with everyone. This week in history, Stevie Richards is, he's mentioned three times. Once because Vince called him Stevie Ray, but we had two debuts this week in history involving Stevie Richards. One uh, as a wrestler debuting and someone else debuting wrestling Stevie Richards. And I'm sure Stevie would prefer to forget the latter, even though it was an accident. But first, it was this week in 1992. Stevie Richards made his pro wrestling debut at ECW's Market Street Mayhem. He wrestled Jimmy Gennetti, and they wrestled to a 20-minute time limit draw. So Stevie Richards, pro wrestling debut, 1992 this week. Also this week in 92, Roddy Piper defeated Ric Flair in a non-title steel cage match. Piper was the IC champ at the time. Flair was the heavyweight champ at the time. And even though they awarded the match to Piper, somebody had a camcorder in the crowd. The the footage is very, very grainy, very, very horrible. But I'm telling you, you're finding all of this unseen footage starting to float around the net over the last five years. Somebody posted the closing moments of this match from 1992. And when you watch it, it looks like Ric Flair's feet hit the floor first. They were both climbing outside the cage. And, you know, again, they awarded the match to Roddy Piper. But if you watch the footage online, Ric Flair's feet actually hit the floor first. 1993, speaking of Ric Flair, he makes his return to WCW after parting ways with the WWF. Remember a couple of weeks ago? He had the match with Mr. Perfect on Monday Night Raw, loser leaves town. Well, this was Ric Flair's return to WCW. This was at Super Bowl Three. He did not wrestle on the card, but he did make his return. I think he did a little segment during it with Barry Windham, you know, was going to put the title around Windham and Windham refused. I think that's what it was. There was an awesome match that night. You know, I always sing the praise for Vader. And any longtime listener knows that. If you want to see a fucking top phenomenal match involving Vader, go check out Super Brawl 3, Vader versus Sting. The name of the match is kind of hokey because when I say it, you'll know we're obviously thinking of something else right now, but it was the White Castle of Fear leather strap match. White Castle of Fear. I think we all know what the what we classify White Castle of Fear to be, but... Yeah, they had an awesome strap match at Super Brawl 3. You should definitely check it out. That same night, the Rock and Roll Express defeated the Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Champs, the Heavenly Bodies. Um, This would be the final appearance by either team. Along with Jim Cornette and WCW, they would leave shortly thereafter. Now, this same week in 1993, this is an interesting one. And I'm not going to get into the whole history behind it. Because, you know, I'm just giving you highlights of what went down in wrestling history. But it was this week also in 93 that Hulk Hogan showed up on Monday Night Raw. We had not seen Hogan since WrestleMania 8, April of 1992. Now, the storyline was Brutus Beefcake, you know, he had the parasailing accident. They played off that IRS and Ted DiBiase attacked him. So Hogan returned to join up with Brutus Beefcake. They called themselves the Mega Maniacs. Jimmy Hart was their manager. And this was going to lead to them gaining revenge on Money Incorporated. 
Now, like I said, I don't want to go any further because things happened later on. You know, but when we get to later on this year and Hulk Hogan, you know, takes on Yokozuna, who had taken on Bret Hart, I'll get into more of the history. But this was the beginning of the end of Hulk Hogan in as far as WWF at that time. In fact, when I get into history later on this year, going back to 1993, you'll re- you'll realize and you'll see how uh, much Hulk Hogan pretty much didn't appear for WWF, even while heavyweight champ, albeit not for that long of a period. So 1995, Monday Night Raw, Sid Vicious made his return to the WWF. He was introduced as the new bodyguard for Shawn Michaels. I was going to play the promo, but, you know, it was okay. And the reason why I was going to play it is to show everyone that Sid Vicious actually can cut a promo, but it's nothing memorable. I mean, Sid Vicious was uh, a decent guy back then. Does he deserve to be in WWE Wrestling Hall of Fame? You know what? I I wouldn't have any issue with it. I really wouldn't. I mean, he was uh, a good compliment for some some wrestlers over the years. I think for his size, he did a pretty damn good job with himself. Yes, he wasn't that great on the mic, but still, Sid Vicious is definitely, uh, you know, a, a decent player. So that happened in 95. Now, Get to 1997. ECW invades Monday Night Raw. At that time, Raw was getting uh, trounced by WCW in the ratings. WWF, you heard in recent weeks, they had uh, the NWA matches on TV. Now they had this little deal of Paul Heyman coming in, having a little bit of a schmaz, invading Monday Night Raw with ECW. And this was to not only give a little bit of buzz to Monday Night Raw, but also to help plug ECW's first ever pay-per-view, Barely Legal. I still have my original VHS taping from that night. And I still have my original VHS taping of this night. Now, Originally, I was going to burn the VHS tape. I was going to transfer it into digital and play the audio clips, the highlights from my VHS copy because it's the original. It's got the original theme music, how everything went down that night. But honestly, I just there was too much time and work involved with doing something like that spur in a moment. So I have the audio from the WWE Network, took highlights from it. Yes, WWE butchered a lot of the background audio, but hey, you know, the clips I'm playing really do not focus on theme music anyway. So let's let's flash back for about 14 minutes. ECW invading Monday Night Raw this week, 1997. Enjoy. There's a ring attendant. Oh! Your challenge has been accepted! ECW is in! McMahon, huh? Go ahead, yeah, go ahead, you bunch of morons. And the King's answer has been challenged. There's no telling what we're going to see in the house. That's Paulie in there, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to have all kind of action, no doubt about that. Oh, wait a minute, I think we're going to get a word here from uh... Big Stevie Cool. From the Blue World Order. Brought to you by Extreme Championship Wrestling. Jerry the King Lawler. 
behalf of the ECW and the Blue World Order, we have only three words for you. Uh-oh. We're taking over! <laughs> hey! Are you invited him, King? Burger King man! Uh-oh. Say hello to the blue guy! Say hello to the fat guy. <laughs> Look at that! Little Guido against Big Stevie Cool. Action underway here. The BWO and uh, tell us what what exactly is the Blue World Order? The Mr. Blue Dangerous World Ring? Order, and you can call me Paul. You can oh, call me you. Paul Heyman. You're welcome, Mr. McMahon. All you have to do is call me the look man this, on behalf of ECW. We're looking, Jerry Lawler. It doesn't take an educated person to figure that out. The Blue World Order is a revolutionary Ooh. concept in wrestling today. Is that right? That is correct. It's another ECW ripoff. Of what? <laughs> Oh, and a sidewalk slam. Nice Who and what are we ripping off? Give me a break. Well, certainly this has nothing at all to do with the clothing line. Okay, who's this? NWO. Who that is? And, yeah. Uh, well, that's... Is the ECW heavyweight champion of the world. The David Koresh of wrestling himself, Raven. Oh, wait a minute, Paul Parker. There we go. Goes to count of three. And a drop kick by Little Greedo. And another one, and Stevie Ray to the outside. Stevie Cool, big Stevie Cool. Stevie cool. Hey, McMahon, I gotta tell you something. You impress me as an announcer. If this WWF thing does not work out for you, yeah. we could actually give you a job in ECW. Thank you, I appreciate yeah, that. I've seen some of your shows. You need an announcer. <laughs> Standing by right now, ladies and gentlemen, so I'm told is the uh, most bizarre one. We have Gold to Gold Dust. What do you think thus far of the ECW action? I'm concerned. I'm the premier here in the World Wrestling Federation. Everyone else is just B-movies. I see. And almost a count of three there tonight. One-on-one -on -one against Savio Vega. Any comment there? We're having some technical difficulties, I believe, with uh, Mr. Goldduck nonetheless. Here we go! To the buckle! We're having some technical difficulties in the ring right now. Hey, do you mind if I actually say something nice about Goldust? Go right ahead. I mean, I don't know if you want an endorsement from ECW, oh. but I'll tell you this. Yeah. I don't care, homosexual, heterosexual, bisexual. If Marlena comes along with the package, I go home with him too. Up next, ladies and gentlemen, La Femme Nikita. You talk about hot action. We're going to have plenty of it tonight. Oh! And there's plenty of hot action as well. Up next, La Femme Nikita. Ooh, she is boiling. When are you gonna show me something extreme, Paulie? Well, when little Guido stands up and gets hit in the face with a Stevie kick, I invite you to deny that this is extreme. Oh! Hard power, hard count, and he gets it. This is, this is what you're going to try to sell on a pay-per-view? This is exactly what we're going to sell on pay-per-view. Right. Hey, maybe you'd like to get in the ring and show him your fine amateur credentials. Hey, listen. 
This guy's so small, he probably buys an ant farm for a second home. Let me tell you something, Coming Ollie. from a guy that's 5'10", and that was on top of the territory for 76 years, that is the most oh, ridiculous statement I've ever heard. Is that right? That, no, that is exactly right. The most ridiculous thing I've ever heard was you calling this extreme championship wrestling. Hey, why don't you do, why don't you show us what you guys usually do, huh? Why don't you set some of the fans on fire? Huh? Why don't you set what? somebody on fire? Yeah. Why don't you hit somebody over the head with a, with a bat wrapped in barbed wire? Because we'd rather do that and pay per view oh, yeah, right. on Sunday night, April 13th. Oh! Northern Light Suplex! And, and a kick out. And I know, Mr. McMahon, you would have called that move, and I'm sorry for stepping on your play-by-play. -play. It's no problem. Be my guest. You were invited. You're a guest here. But I, I noticed the court no, I didn't invite him. I didn't invite Paul E. down here to run his fat mouth. Block! Block! It's Sabu! Hey, wait a minute. It's, it's Sabu! Top. Wait a minute! Oh, oh no. my God! Sabu! The most homicidal! The most suicidal! The most genocidal athlete! And Sabu, look out! Sabu! Ooh. Homicidal, suicidal, genocidal, and extreme to the bone! And in the ring now, the human suplex machine Taz with the head and arm Tazplex! Get a close-up of this one, WWF! And, ooh! All right, what kind of suplex was that? That's a head and arm Tazplex! It's the one move in wrestling that even Ken Shamrock fears! <laughs> okay. I wouldn't go so far as to say that. In well, control. you wouldn't, but I would! The Katahajime, the Taz Mission, and Bill Alfonso is carrying the flag of Team Taz! Surprise! Right here on Raw! Is that it? May I speak now, Mr. McMahon? Ladies and gentlemen, in the ring, representing Extreme Championship Wrestling, Team Five Dudley! Devon Dudley. Ever heard of him? Tommy Dreamer locking up with the uh, Devon Dudley. Those taped fists. You know what, Paulie? Devon Dudley. No, I don't know. I'll what. tell you what. You should. You should get down on your hands and knees and kiss my royal feet for giving you the opportunity to be out here and constantly plug your pay-per-view. I mean, more people are being exposed to your ECW wrestling in this moment than oh. in the entire history of your whole little rinky-dink company. And that's thanks to the quijones of the man sitting next to you. Not to you, yeah, as Tommy right. Dreamer takes Steve on Dudley outside the ring. Oh, good. Here we go. And here we go yeah, right. to get extreme. And that's called effective. Right. Yeah, now look oh, at these idiots in the crowd, man. Watch this. 
That was a, a bell. A What's he bell. got now, huh? A weapon, a cane. That's some wrestling for you. Well, I think we uh, oh. need to be drawing some lines here, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, come on, McMahon. No. This is ECW. No, we're, hopefully things aren't going to get out of hand here. Well, hopefully they are. That's what ECW is all about. We're not just wrestling. We're not just exciting. We are extreme. Yes, there's no doubt about that. But, uh, oh. And anyone can get extreme. No, and not we're anyone. We're have extreme action here, ladies and gentlemen. No doubt when The Undertaker faces Farouk, the leader of the nation of the... Oh! The leader of the nation of domination coming up. And, of course, if you just joined us, the Legion of Doom back in tag team action here in the World Wrestling Federation. You missed as well the special arm wrestling event. Uh-oh, look at this. What's going on with Tommy Dreamer? Oh, they're doing some wrestling, McMahon. Yes, The Undertaker against Farouk. But right now, Tommy Dreamer against Devon Dudley. And this is a fight of ultimate proportions as the innovator of violence, Tommy Dreamer. You said anyone can get extreme. I doubt very seriously that the court jester sitting next to you could ever be oh, extreme. Hey, no. let me just tell you this, Paul, dangerously. No, you will never no, tell yeah, me No, yeah, let me anything. tell you this. Listen, you might I've been in wrestling. I've been in wrestling. Me you know what? I've been in wrestling for, for about 20 years. Yeah, for, for years. about 20 years. Hey guys, and I've never on. been ashamed to tell anybody oh. that I was a wrestler. You understand that? I, when I left my hometown of Memphis, Tennessee this morning, they to fly to New York City, let me tell you something. The mayor, the mayor of Memphis, Tennessee, Mayor Harrington, was in the airport flying to Kansas City. He looked at me and smiled and said, hey, King, if you ever need a tag team partner, call me. I've never been ashamed to being a professional wrestler, but right now when I look at this crap in the ring, and when I look at an Next idiot like you say. sitting right Next there, you say. shut up! Shut up! Yeah, shut Why up! Don't you make when me I look shut at up, you, and when I look at this this crap, it's the ECW Sustainer, extremely crappy wrestling. I'm ashamed to be associated with it. You understand that? I'm ashamed to be associated with it. You never will be associated with it. What's going on? Just chill out, all right? This is the last match we're going to have here that is extreme tonight. You're welcome. Devon Dudley, ladies and gentlemen. Freaking In the overalls, Devon Dudley taking it to Tommy Dreamer. And, uh, oh! oh. Somebody call the match. I've had it with them. Oh, yeah, right. You sure wouldn't know what to call because you've never been in a wrestling match. You're what I'd call a jock sniffer. You like to be around athletes because you're not one yourself. Only thing athletic about you are your stinking feet. You understand that? And all you do is leech onto a bunch of so-called athletes and try to make money off of them. You know, Lola, being extreme, I have no problem sniffing your jock, but I'm afraid you Oh, yeah, is that right? That's right. Is that right? Great comeback. Wait a minute, in any event, ladies and gentlemen. You know, stop telling me to wait a minute. I've back. had it with him. He invited What's us. This? You oh, accepted. Please. Come Standing on, by right it. now, ladies and gentlemen, we have... I think the Undertaker. There he is in the Undertaker, ladies and gentlemen. Come on out here, Undertaker. One on one with the leader of the nation of domination, Farouk. Any last minute thoughts? Tonight, the march to WrestleMania the 13th begins with the nation. They will all be laid aside. And the only thing that stands between me and Psycho Sid at WrestleMania the 13th oh. is time. Look at this. Thank you very much, The Undertaker. Three hundred and fifty pounds. Double right, Dudley. 
gentlemen. It's the Sandman! It's the Sandman! The Sandman is in the Manhattan Center! The who? The Sandman! The icon of extreme championship wrestling! And we're about to get hardcore! And it, well, it yeah. looks like the Sandman... <laughs> About it's like get... a Sandman get hardcore, Paulie. What do you think about that idiot now, huh? I don't think anything about it. I love this. I love Bubba Ray Dudley and Devon Dudley showing America how extreme ECW can be. Oh. And uh, it's like things are getting a little yeah, bit out of get it over with. got to say now, huh? What? I say the same thing I said before. It's crap. It's crap, crap and you're crap. You understand oh, that? You know, huh? Thanks a lot. Thank you for letting me plug my paper. Oh, yeah. Why don't you take a hike? You and all the rest of your I bumps, you take a much. hike. You know April what? 13th, you know what? You have more Tijones than anybody ever gave you credit for. Why don't you, you take are... a hike? Get out of here. Hey, guys, please. Yeah, don't. King, sit down. Hey, hey, come on. Hey, wait. No, wait a minute. Following this week, you would have ECW make a few appearances on Monday Night Raw. You had Sabu and Rob Van Dam wrestling some matches here and there. You had the infamous debate between Paul Heyman and Jerry Lawler in the middle of the ring. It was it was so much fun back then. I mean, honestly, 1997 is one of my favorite years of all time as far as pro wrestling goes. To see that ECW was finally making it to pay-per-view, then having them show up on Monday Night Raw, and granted, they really have had to water down the type of matches that they were having when they came to Monday Night Raw. They just could not go tremendously hardcore. Yes, Sandman did some chairs, and yes, we had a couple little things here and there, but one of the agreements was that they really needed to water down the type of matches that they were going to have appearing on Monday Night Raw. So there you go. 1998, Super Brawl 8 takes place in San Francisco. You know, we always remember the night that Rey Mysterio lost his mask to Kevin Nash in 1999. And by the way, that did happen this week in wrestling history as well. But um, we go one year earlier. Juventud Guerrero, Juvi, lost his mask before Rey Mysterio did. A lot of people seem to forget that little aspect. We always remember Kevin Nash defeating Rey Mysterio. It was a tag match. And maybe we'll go backwards for a moment. It was 1999, hair versus mask tag match. The Outsiders defeated Conan and Rey Mysterio. The stipulations were if Conan and Rey Mysterio's team lost, Rey would have to unmask. If the Outsiders lost, Miss Elizabeth would have to have her head shaven. Now, did anybody in their right mind back then think that Miss Elizabeth's head was going to be shaved? No. But still, everybody always remembers that night, Kevin Nash putting on Ray's mask and making fun of him. And I remember when Ray took the mask off, he looked like a little child. He looked so freaking young. And yes, we had the internet at that time, but I really don't recall 
anybody really wanting to post photos of what Rey Mysterio looked like without the mask at that time. Later on in years, people do it for clickbait purposes because Ray has put the mask back on. Just a little story that a lot of people may not be aware of. From what I understand, Rey Mysterio originally was supposed to lose his mask at Halloween Havoc 1997 in a match with Eddie Guerrero. And there was rumors that Eddie uh, Ray was going to no-show that event because he did not want to lose the mask. And Bischoff had told Ray, you know, look, you're under contract. You have to do what you're told in this and that. Then at the very last minute, he might have even been the night of the, the show, Ray Mysterio found out that they changed their mind. They let him keep the mask on. So he originally was going to lose that mask in October of 97, but instead he lost it this week in history, 1999. Now, let's go backwards one year to 1998 because, again, a lot of people seem to forget that Hoovy lost his mask before Ray did. And who did Hoovy face in the match to lose his mask? It was Chris Jericho. It was title versus mask match. Chris Jericho was the Cruiserweight champ at the time. Who he lost, he unmasked. So that happened this week in 1998. A couple other things happened that night at Super Bowl three. A couple of memorable moments, some for the good and some for the not so good. First off, Booker T defeated Rick Martel to win the TV title. And during that match, Rick Martel tore his uh, ligament in his knee. So, you know, the match basically, you know, Booker won. He ended up defending immediately after against Saturn. He retained the title, blah, 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 blah. Fine. Same night, British Bulldog defeats Steve Mongo McMichael. And during that match, he suffered a broken arm. So we had those two quote-unquote injuries take place that night. But one other that I always remember, not because of the match, but because of the crowd. It was this week on the same event, Super Bowl uh, Eight, that Scott Steiner turned on his brother Rick. It was Hall and Nash taking on the Steiners for the tag titles. Scott Steiner, you know how they always did that thing where Rick Steiner would you know, like be on all fours and he'd go through the legs of Scott Steiner and Scott Steiner would be on top of him? Well, they did that and then Scott Steiner attacked Rick Steiner. But if you ever go back and watch that moment, pay attention to the crowd. Because as soon as he turned on his brother, you see, you would have thought that there was like a fight somewhere else in the arena, or maybe some girl flashed her chest or something like that. You just see everybody getting out of their seat. And you realize that they're all getting up and popping for the fact that Scott Steiner just turned on his brother. It was a pretty damn big deal at that time. And I will always remember the crowd that night for how they reacted when Scott turned on his brother, Rick. So there you go. Now let's go fast forward again to 1999. And we won't go back and forth again, but I only did that only because to remind everyone that Hoovy lost his mask before Ray Ray, and it was in a match with Jericho. Now we go back to 1999, uh, Super Brawl um, 9. Hogan defeats Ric Flair and got an assist by a masked man, who hit Ric Flair with a stun gun. Can't blame it on Russo, people. Can't blame it on Russo. It ended up being David Flair hitting a stun gun onto Ric Flair so Hogan could retain the heavyweight title. That same week, 
on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, Goldberg was interviewed. And I got the audio from the interview. Goldberg came off as a very, you know, a decent guy. We never really got to hear him all that much at that time. But the one thing you can't deny that in 1999, Everybody was comparing Austin to Goldberg, Austin to Goldberg, Goldberg to Austin. Girl, because they both had shaved heads, they both had goatees, they both had the black trunks, and even Bischoff has talked about it over the years that that was pretty much intentional. But seeing Goldberg on Jay Leno, very presentable, likable guy, but this interview was always remembered because of a challenge that Goldberg said during the segment. Now, the segment's only four and a half minutes long, but I figured you would enjoy it. So here you go. This week in 1999, Goldberg on Jay Leno. Here you go. Hey, Mr. Continental, I like to kiss the hand thing. You're Very just, nice. You're just jealous I didn't do it to you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I am jealous you didn't do it to me. Right? Now, you look, are you a little nervous being on this kind of venue? I'm uh, only nervous because I'm actually wearing clothes and I'm uh, not beating people up. <laughs> now, usually wrestlers have, like, like, odd name. Now, Goldberg is your real name, isn't it? Yeah. Did you ever think of being, you know, the something or other, the Titan or one of those deals? <laughs> Well, you know, my name originally was The Assassin, but I changed it to something more menacing like Goldberg. Goldberg, yeah. Well, they, well Goldberg is disarming. You know, they may expect the accountant, you know, or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of people might not know. A lot of folks might not know you played in the NFL. Yeah. And you were with, was it the Raiders? Atlanta Falcons. Atlanta Falcons, I'm sorry. Three years? Three years, yeah. And what happened? You got injured, right? Tore my lower abdomen, unfortunately, and uh, now I'm moved on to bigger and better things. Okay, yeah, this worked out okay. Okay. Now, let me ask. Now, were your parents wrestlers? <laughs> <laughs> they were the famous Jewish tag team from the Midwest. <laughs> Actually, my mother was a concert violinist. And my father was a gynecologist, so <laughs> don't figure. Well, they must. So I guess your career choice was a natural, really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, were, they really liked it when I, cho when I chose uh, being a wrestler, too. The first thing that my dad did was hang the phone up on me. So. <laughs> did he really? Yeah. No, really? <laughs> now he's my biggest fan. You know? Now, do they come? Do they come? That's my boy. Yeah, they come to as many events as Eric Bischoff and the rest of WCW yeah. will allow because they try to come to all of them. That's great. That's like the movie The Jazz Singer. You know, it's the same deal. Oh, great. Really good. <laughs> I mean, how did I'm you decide? I'm to break that stereotype. No, no, but how did you decide to do this? How did you, what made you sort of, where did the transition come from? My accountant told me I had to get off my butt and start doing something. <laughs> um, it was kind of, I, I don't want to say it's a natural progression, but, yeah. uh, you know, being an NFL, uh, you always have that locker room. Thing going, right. you do get paid a fairly decent amount of money. Oh yeah, it's great. And uh, the dough. physical competition, you know. Yeah. And uh, I thought it was a natural progression for. And me, you know, so. you guys are great. When I did the wrestling thing with you guys in Sturgis, you know, the one thing I liked was all the wrestlers took time to talk to all the kids. Nobody ever used any bad language. I mean, there's a lot of grunting and bodies, but I mean, you know, I mean, they were very nice. I mean, you guys were great with the youngsters. Because a lot of athletes won't sign things and won't do things. And I thought that was great. You guys are out there. Each kid got a little something, you know, a, a choke or a hit in the head or something. But you know, you, you know. I, I speared a couple kids yeah. on the way into the yeah, room. But the kids love that. You know what? The, the main reason why I do what I do is for the kids. You yeah. know, it's it's uh, great entertainment for them. And I would. Uh, 
I drop everything to give an autograph to a kid. You know, yeah. I, I do these two-hour autograph sessions and end up staying for three and a half and four just to make sure that everybody's got now, everything. I want to ask you something. Now, this Steve Austin guy. Who's that? I keep hearing that Goldberg's a wimp and Goldberg's scared of him. And, I, you know, I know you're a friend. I, I, I don't want to bring this up. I guess this gives me an opportunity to... Uh, throw a challenge out there. You gonna throw a challenge right here tonight? Yeah, you know, there have been, there have been, uh... Back me up on this, Kevin. <laughs> I've been yeah. in high school before, you go... <laughs> there you go. Um, ever since I started, everybody always called me a ripoff of Steve Austin. Well, you guys know, and I know, there's only one Goldberg. That's right. <laughs> And I don't know what he's thinking, or if he's, or if he's even thinking, but uh, <laughs> I'll throw a hundred grand of my money, Austin, anytime, any place. We can even do it in the back alley of the NBC. Right studio. here at NBC. We'll, we'll set it up right here. How about Callista becomes the ring girl? I think it's a hell of a deal. So you, it's a hundred thousand. A hundred thousand. You gotta do the a hundred grand. You get me right here on the Tonight Show. Goldberg's taking you down for one on the ground. Did I do it right? I didn't go to that action. There you go. There you go. Goldberg. Good job, buddy. Now, we know over the years since then that Goldberg and Steve Austin didn't have any real animosity at all with each other. In fact, there's some very unique footage online. I don't know if you've ever seen it. But Steve Austin had done a few autograph signings at that time. And some people, you know, had the wherewithal to have their camcorders recording, watching their young sons, you know, getting an autograph from Steve Austin. And there was one point where a kid asks Steve Austin his thoughts on Goldberg. And Steve Austin was very respectful about Bill Goldberg. And, you know, you look back on it, I know what people are going to say, what do you mean putting up $100,000? What was he going to challenge him to a shoot fight or something like that? Look, at that time, it was, you know, it just fit well. It just seemed like it made sense. And there was such a heated rivalry between WWE and WCW at that time. But still, I figured I would share it with everyone. This week in 2000, Super Brawl takes place. Unadvertised appearance by James Brown, and this is one of those wrestle crap moments that people have talked about as far as bad business with WCW. They paid James Brown $25,000 to dance for two minutes. And when you read some of these books as far as bad business with WCW, especially towards the end, you know, they thought that this would generate a little bit of a, a buzz. The problem is, is that they never advertised it beforehand. So nobody knew that he was showing up at all. And the match that I always remember from that night, Big Al defeating Tank Abbott in a leather jacket on a pole match. And, and this blows my mind that this is never brought up when talking about horrible gimmick matches in WCW. What, what do you always hear? Judy Bagwell on a on a forklift. Judy Bagwell on a forklift match. How come nobody ever brings up this match? Because after Big Al defeated Tank Abbott for the rights of a fucking leather jacket, Tank Abbott actually pulls out a knife, a, a legit f knife, and puts it to the throat of Big Al, threatening to kill him. Now, look, Tank Abbott just playing a gimmick, wasn't really trying to threaten a guy. 
But on live pay-per-view, the fucking guy takes out an actual knife and puts it to the throat of Big Al. Just think of the gimmick, the stipulation, the result, and then pulling a knife out on your opponent. Oh, horrendous, horrendous wrestle crap. I can't believe nobody ever brings it up. This week also in 2000, something that I always enjoyed. Can't believe WWE has not brought it back yet. Crash Holly defeated Test to win the hardcore title. Now, the hardcore title didn't debut this night. We know it was originally handed to Mick Foley as a present from Vince McMahon. But this night, after Crash Holly won the hardcore title, he announced that he would defend his title 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And WWF said in storyline, okay, you got it. The 24-7 rule for the hardcore title began this week back in 2000. So I just, for the life of me, I can't understand why WWE hasn't brought this title back. Sure, you can't do some of the real hardcore shit, but there was so much comedy gold at that time, and it wasn't always about laughs. But, man, doing it at Chuck E. Cheese, doing it in an airport, brawling in a pond, I mean, brawling outside in the snow... I mean, that doesn't involve chair shots to the head. It doesn't involve some major physicality. And I don't want to hear this crap. Oh, you know, kids may mimic it at home. Well, you know what? You know, back in 2000, it was okay. And, you know, you have this, your parents are the ones that are supposed to be responsible. Son, don't you dare do that. You know, come on. Why is this title not back? Ah, 2001, No Way Out pay-per-view. WWF, a match that... I think is a pretty decent match. Stephanie McMahon was not a great wrestler. She wasn't a wrestler. I mean, pretty much, but still, she took on Trish Stratus this night. Yes, she got help from William Regal at the very end, but I thought this was a decent match, a match that nobody ever seems to bring up. No Way Out 2001. That same night, we had Stevie Richards defeat Jerry the King Waller. And there was a storyline at that time where Jerry Lawler's wife at the time, Stacey Carter, a.k.a. the cat, she uh, was feuding with the right to censor. Stevie Richards, you know, right to censor. I don't need to get into that whole storyline. I'm sure you remember it. Well, the cat was trying to do the right to nudity. So they did the stipulation that if Jerry Lawler lost, that the cat would be forced to join right to censor. Now, I shouldn't really go any further at this point because next week in wrestling history, something happened with Jerry Lawler, the cat, in WWE. I could give you a little preview now, and then we'll get into the whole thing next week. It was this week in history at No Way Out where Jerry Lawler lost the match. Now, the cat, look, she was cute. We saw her chest one time, you know, but... You look over the years, and some people have not had the kindest of words about her, especially Ivory. And Stacey Carter was not great in the ring. She admits it many times in interviews. She's a very likable person on the outside. She is a, a really, really decent person. And look, you know, she was naive. She was young. You know, I mean, you know, she got into the business at, I think, 19, and she wasn't even a wrestling fan. Like Jerry, she claims Jerry Lawler forced her into the business. But the bottom line is that she wasn't that great in the ring. And during this night, she accidentally hit Jerry Lawler, which didn't go come off well on TV. The following night on Raw, I think she was wearing like a burlap bag to cover her whole body and the right to sense a gimmick. And that's where we'll leave it here. 
But next week, I will get into the details that not even 48 hours after this happening, WWE releases the cat, and in protest, Jerry Lawler quits WWE. So we'll talk about that next week because that technically happens next week. 2002, Billy and Chuck defeat Spike Dudley and Taz to win the WWF tag titles. Now we go to 2003. Now, I know I played that little teaser of The Rock at the very beginning for 2003, but we have to go one day before that first. No Way Out pay-per-view 2003. The Rock defeated Hulk Hogan. During that night, Sylvain Grenier made his WWE debut as a referee who assisted in what they called at the time the 2003 version of the Montreal Screwjob. And this was The Rock's first pay-per-view match since SummerSlam of August 2002. That same night, Steve Austin beat Eric Bischoff in a match, and that was Steve Austin's first appearance since he walked out of the WWF the summer before. So we had the pay-per-view returns of Steve Austin and that night, which obviously was a pretty big deal. Following night on Raw, The Rock showed up in Toronto. Now, if you forget the storyline, Hulk Hogan was on SmackDown. Yes, they had a little bit of a roster split. So The Rock's appearance on Raw was unexpected, but still nonetheless, one of my favorite promos at that time when The Rock was pretty much full-blown heel. Now, this isn't the entire promo, but it's a little over seven and a half minutes of it. I definitely think it'll bring back memories for everyone. So here you go. The Rock, Monday Night Raw, 2003. What? What is he doing here tonight? What is The Rock doing on Raw? New haircut. I didn't invite him. New tattoo. Did you invite him? No, I didn't invite him. I'm... I don't have a problem seeing him. I mean, big movie star, seven-time WWE champion. Well, you know, Eric Bischoff may have been right when he said this stands the greatest ever in the history of this industry. Well, that's arguable. That's certainly arguable. No I, think, wait, I think the great one's about to speak, Jr. Here's some fans speaking also. They're saying Rocky sucks. Hey, hey, hey. These people in Canada are a little conflicted. Finally, the Rock has come back to Toronto. He's not quite finished. Toronto. He's almost there. To run his mouth on all your candy asses! <laughs> what about that? There's a lot of candy asses out there, Jared. Thousands of them. Oh yeah, the rock is the rock is on raw. What? It's a SmackDown number one draft pick several moons ago. Maybe if these uh, Canucks will shut up and let him explain, maybe he'll tell us why he's here on Raw. Whoa, 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 whoa. Now, now don't start chanting Rocky yet. you got to hear what The Rock is going to say, and then you decide whether they're going to chant Rocky or not. There you go. Fair oh, hand. yeah. Big surprise. The Rock right here on Raw. Why? The Rock will tell you why. The Rock will tell you why. Because, see, last night, last night at No Way Out, The Rock did Vince McMahon a favor, and he whooped that red and yellow candy ass. Denial. 
And then, and then, Vince McMahon did the rock a favor. He said, Rock, you can go wherever you want to go. You can do whatever you want to do. So The Rock said he wanted to go live Monday night on Raw. More importantly than that, The Rock said he wanted to come right here to Toronto, Canada. I like Rock sucking up in this crowd, if you ask me. And then The Rock said, uh, uh, wait a minute, are you, are you kidding The Rock? Are you kidding The Rock? What, is this the first time you've ever heard someone mention your city? Is that it? Oh, yay, hooray, he said Toronto, yay, woo, yay, that's where we live, we live in Toronto, yay, shut up. Oh. Sometimes I'm not allowed to cheer about living here in Toronto. What? I beg your pardon. Now you see, The Rock wanted to come right here to Toronto because you see, it was here in Toronto that it all started. What started? I don't know. Yeah, The Rock didn't forget. The Rock didn't forget because you see, the biggest travesty in the history of the industry. It was here in Toronto that the people turned on the people's champion. Oh no 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 no! Don't no! We did it, Rock. No, we. Oh yes, you did. Oh the Rock, the Rock. Yes, you did, baby. Yes, you did. Last year, last year, WrestleMania, sixty-eight thousand strong. Sixty-eight thousand of you mother Canuckers booing the Rock out of the building. Mother, mother Canuckers. The mother Canuckers. They are. Oh, that's totally disrespectful. Isn't I knew they were. And, and uncalled for, quite frankly. Don't be a mother Canucker. But he's accurate, as far as the booing. They were cheering for Hogan at WrestleMania. He's, he's right about that. We're doing it again. Well, let me just help you all Canadians. You see, you understand? This is Raw. Hogan's on SmackDown. Hogan's not here. We understand that. Okay, now. So what'd you think? Did you actually think that The Rock was just gonna forget? Is that what you thought? That The Rock was just gonna forget? That The Rock was just gonna let it slide? Is that what you think? They are mother conductors, you know. It doesn't matter what you people think! Oh. I just can't believe this attitude from The Rock, quite frankly. I guess The Rock told Toronto, did he? Oh, no, no, you don't boo The Rock, look you fatty. The Rock gets more pie in a week than you get in a lifetime. <laughs> I got never had pie. But there's one thing that bothered The Rock more than that. It was that it was it was that it was that it was that Raw's 10th anniversary that the people did not vote for The Rock to be superstar of the decade. Ooh, that was actually Austin's accolade. Another slap in the face to the great one. These things don't set well with the rock. Wait, 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 wait. what's now? He's chanting for Stone Cold here. What? <laughs> you, uh, you voted for Stone Cold Steve Austin. Everybody loves Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, everybody loves Stone Cold. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, well, The Rock, The Rock doesn't love Stone Cold. The Rock doesn't love Stone Cold. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, Stone Cold Steve Austin is nothing. The Rock sounds jealous. He's got to be jealous. And The Rock means nothing compared... Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Don't do that. Compared to The Rock. No, 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 no. You see, there is only one. There's only one true superstar of the decade, true superstar of the millennium. You know who that is? The Rock will tell you who that is. Toronto, that is the jabroni beaten, <laughs> pie-eating, trailblazing, eyebrow-raising, stronger than a bear, faster than a buck, the biggest thing to hit Canada because the maple leaves suck. Oh, oh man. and no way out and now inciting this crowd I can't believe this night this is great uh oh wait a minute here's another chance for the rock he is certainly not going to appreciate this 2004 on Monday Night Raw we had the infamous match between Vince McMahon versus Eric Bischoff Ended in a no contest because Steve Austin, who was the referee during this match, got attacked by Brock Lesnar. And obviously, this would start setting up things for WrestleMania. That same night, Christian defeated Trish Stratus in one of the more memorable intergender matches. I mean, at some points, I remember it was pretty damn stiff. Trish took a pretty hard clothesline during that match, but... They really uh, turned it up a notch. So if you've never seen that match, you want to go back and check it out this week, 2004, Monday Night Raw. One year later in 2005, a match Stevie Richards, I'm sure, hasn't forgotten. Chris Masters made his WWE TV debut defeating Stevie Richards during that match. Chris Masters tried to hit Richards with the Polish hammer a little bit too high. Broke Stevie Richards' orbitable bone. And I remember doing one of the first episodes ever, the Minority Report at that time. Man, did he fuck up Stevie Richards. I mean, it's not funny. It was really fucked up at the time. And I heard that Chris Masters was very apologetic after. And look, accidents do happen. But still, it was not the way I think uh, anybody wanted Chris Masters to debut on TV. That same week, Batista gives Triple H the infamous thumbs down. You remember he had the SmackDown contract in his hand, wearing the suit, he looks at Triple H, smile on his face, puts the thumbs up, then thumbs down, and the rest is history. Very memorable moment on WWE TV. 2006, Kofi Kingston makes his pro wrestling debut. He defeated Tony Omega at an event called, and I hope I pronounced this right, CW at Meth One, M-E-T-H-U-E-N, Meth One. His name, his in-ring name at that time was Kofi Nahaji Kingston. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. 2009, WWE released Colt Cabana and Manu. Anybody remember Manu from Legacy? That was a guy that, I'm sorry, no disrespect to Afa, his father, but he did not fit in. Never worked well, and it's, it's a shame because have you really heard much about Manu since him being released in 09? 
Didn't amount to as much as, I guess, he and a lot of other people thought. And Cole Cabana, this same week, they actually aired him getting pretty much destroyed by Umaga on SmackDown, and he was released the same week. 2010, TNA signs Shannon Moore to a deal. That same week, Hulk Hogan and his son Nick settled a lawsuit that was filed against them on behalf of John Graziano. That was uh, the friend of Hulk Hogan who was seriously injured in the 2007 car crash. That same week, the Elimination Chamber. John Cena wins the first Chamber match and becomes the WWE champion. He defeated Sheamus, Kofi Kicks to Triple H, Randy Orton, and Ted DiBiase. After the match, Mr. McMahon comes out congratulates John Cena and tells him that he will be going to WrestleMania, but only if he could defeat this man. Batista would come out. Batista would hit his finisher. 30 seconds later, Batista is your new WWE champion. That same night, a moment that was really, really scary at the time, Chris Jericho won the second Elimination Chamber match and become the new World Heavyweight Champ. That wasn't the scary part. He defeated Rey Mysterio, R-Truth, CM Punk, John Morrison, and The Undertaker. But go online because there's different camera angles of this, and it's pretty scary. I mean, it looks kind of humorous the way he actually, like, like lunged forward and almost ran for a second or two or walked very fast. But it wasn't funny because you found out what happened later on. Undertaker came out for his entrance for the to go into the Elimination Chamber. And you see these big balls of fire coming up from the stage, the pyrotechnics. And unfortunately, Undertaker actually got caught in one of these um, pyros, uh, the fireballs. And he had first and second degree burns. Kid you not. He actually like used like water bottles to cool his body down and doctors gave him clearance to actually perform in a match. I mean, you know, because it's dark and because you know you really couldn't see all that well you they didn't have the cameras focusing on doctors looking at undertaker for a couple of seconds at ringside to see what the fuck happened but he did suffer some first and second degree burns and still did the match so you know we are we already know undertaker has a huge set of balls and tough as nails and you see something like this go down and he just douses himself with water and does the match and never complained about it, never heard of any stories of him complaining about it. Shit happens, but still a very scary moment that night. Later on that week on Monday Night Raw, Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker, career versus streak match was made official for WrestleMania 26. That same week, WWE presented the debut episode of NXT. Now you... If you heard last week's episode, you heard me talk about Vince coming out and announcing ECW was done, was no longer going to be airing on the Sci-Fi Channel in its place. It was going to be a new show called NXT. This was the first ever episode. And I'm not going to get into the whole original setup. It was basically rookies being paired up with, you know, WWE wrestlers. They called them pros. You had Wade Barrett being uh, paired up with Chris Jericho, David Otunga with R-Truth, Justin Gabriel, Matt Hardy, Heath Slater with Christian, Darren Young with CM Punk, Skip Sheffield, who we now know as Ryback with William Regal, Daniel Bryan with The Miz, Michael Tarver with Carlito. 
And just to show you the success from the first night and the curiosity, that episode of NXT, the first ever one on TV, 1.7 million viewers. So pretty, pretty damn good success. At that time, it was a tournament. And again, I'm not going to go through the whole, you know, wiki history of what NXT originally was. But for anybody out there that may have uh, never seen the origins of NXT, happened this week, 2010. 2011, last week, we got an audio clip coming up. Last week, I played the promo of The Rock, announcing that he was going to be the host of WrestleMania 30. And during that promo, he had some choice words to say about John Cena, the origin of the Fruity Pebbles comment and everything else. Well, it's this week, one week, week later in history, on Monday Night Raw, John Cena came out to cut a response. Here you go. So let me get this straight. The WWE has gone from the powerful Austin 316 to the dominant and iconic. Can you smell what the rock is cooking? All the way to you can't see me. You can't see me. You can't see me. What are you playing? Peekaboo? You can't see me. I can see you. You can't. Can you see me? Oh, believe me. We all can see you. We all can see you. A blindfolded sleeping, stuck in the basement Stevie Wonder can see your monkey ass. How the hell you think we can miss? You come out here with your bright ass purple shirt. And before that, your bright green shirt. Before that, your bright orange shirt. You're running around here looking like a big fat bowl of fruity pebbles. Finally, The Rock came back and everyone was getting with it. Till he said I was talking trash, but he would never be specific. It's because I wasn't talking trash, Rock. I was talking truth. You left us hanging high and dry to play a fairy with a tooth? And, and then you walk into this ring and tell these people that I'm lame, man? He wore lipstick and get shorty and rocked a skirt for the game plan. This fruity pebble that you dealing with? I'm not your average jabroni. I'm like a big purple pinwheel rock, so go ahead and blow me. (laughs) And you're electrifying, yes! But hang with me, that's just absurd. See, now you gotta tell your family you just got schooled by Barney's turd. Oh, no, no, no. Wait, 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 wait. That's your material. You can have your joke back. Just don't go racing to which mountain rock because your mountain is broke back. Oh, no, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. Wait. The Rock's new movie? Well, it's nothing like walking tall. He spends the movie in a bowling alley polishing my balls.
the people's champ. He's never with the people, rock your words are see-through. You imitate me every time you leave. For seven years, we couldn't see you. And, 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 and is it rock or is it Dwayne? Pick a side, come on, son. If I was you, I'd stick with rock because Dwayne ain't got a John, son. And you'll see me at WrestleMania, well then I'll make sure not to miss it. But you ain't gonna whip my candy ass, dude. I'll make sure you kiss it. You're the WrestleMania host, Rock. That's your role. Know it. You tell these people that you love them. I'm here every week to show it. That's called a first round knockout. And now you know that I'm not playing. Run your mouth all you want, dude. It doesn't matter what you're saying. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, there is indeed only one John Cena. Explosive remarks from John Cena, of course, pointed to the host of WrestleMania, The Rock, as we kick off what will indeed be an explosive Monday Night Raw here tonight. And I believe you're referring to... Obviously, this would be the beginning of... A little bit of a feud between The Rock and John Cena. They would go on to have a couple of WrestleMania matches, but still very memorable how this all kicked off back then. 2012, unfortunately, Bo Dallas, while still wrestling for WWE's developmental system, uh, the son of Mike Rotunda, IRS, was arrested in uh, Temple Terrace, Florida for drunk driving. Given two breathalyzer tests, originally was... uh, Pinned with a .166 and a .178. Both are more than double the legal limit in Florida. Now, we always heard the arrest being covered, but we never really heard what the outcome was. And for people that are curious, uh, later on that year in July, the improper lane change that he was charged with, which caused the breathalyzer test and him being pulled over, that was dismissed Possession of an open container in the vehicle, that count was also dismissed. The blood alcohol content in his system was reduced from 0.178 to 0.140, which is still, you know, over the legal limit. He pled guilty, was sentenced to 12 months probation, paid about $1,000 in fines. Um, I believe his license may have been revoked for six months and he got a restricted license. Or may have had no license at all. I'm not sure about that. And honestly, I'm not going to search it. It's, it's long gone, this case. Originally, he was sentenced to 50 hours community service. But the court agreed that instead of him performing a community service, he just paid an additional $500 fine. So by August of 2012, the case was history. That same week, in case you're interested, it was a very fun match at that time. 2012 on SmackDown. It was Super SmackDown Live. Daniel Bryan, CM Punk, wrestled to a draw, double pin. Very fun match, in case you want to check it out. Now, to me, one of the dumbest moves in recent history for WWE. And it got worse after this went down. I And, you know, the one thing about doing podcasts for so long is that you could go back and listen to how we covered it in real time. And I have brought up this moment so many times over the last bunch of years. 
because it was just pathetic on how WWE caved in to what they thought was pressure, but it was publicity. And they had to have known that they were going to get publicity doing a storyline, playing off the tea party, whether it was satire or if it wasn't, whether it was, you know, supporting it or whether it wasn't. You had Jack Swagger doing the we to people stuff and they teamed them up with Zeb Coulter. And Zeb Coulter was on TV with Jack Swagger for such a short period of time. They cut one promo on TV about illegal aliens. And this, I'm sure you all are going to start getting, it's going to spark memories now when I'm talking about. You had Glenn Beck, who had some disparaging comments towards WWE. A very popular show that I watch still on Fox News. It's called The Five. That week, they did a segment talking about WWE and making fun of them about the Zeb Coulter, Jack Swagger characters uh, spoofing the Tea Party. And they got publicity out of it. But instead of just allowing the storyline to play through, for some reason, WWE had one of their executives issue a statement to the Hollywood Reporter basically saying that Zeb Coulter and Jack Swagger are fictional characters, all right? The fucking gimmick was awesome at the time. And yeah, I know some of you listening are going to be like, well, people that are against illegal immigrants loved it. And but No, I liked it because it felt real. If you read Dutch Mantel online, it's not that he actually supports the same things that quote-unquote Zeb Coulter did, but it was done well. Dutch Mantel is a great character. He made everything feel so realistic. That's something that is so hard to get in wrestling these days. So to actually come out, I mean, I could see if stockholders were up in arms because it's a publicly traded company, but I remember this story so clearly because I covered it and repeated it over the years. You didn't have the stockholders in an uproar. They could have had a stockholders meeting and discussed this a little bit, but they immediately went to Hollywood and said that, no, they're just characters and this is that. But that wasn't the worst part of it. The worst part of it was this. And since then, almost immediately after, WWE censored this. They edited out a lot of this. I don't know why. I mean, you fucked everything up. You might as well leave everything the way it is. But thank God I have this original recording in my computer going back then. This is how WWE, Zeb Coulter, and Jack Swagger responded to Glenn Beck. Now, who the fuck is a wrestling fan would have cared? I mean, seriously, how many wrestling fans at that time would have gave a shit if Glenn Beck would have showed up on Raw the following week? Most wrestling fans could have cared less. But to have these two guys cut this type of a promo right in the beginning of their whole character development, to me... Killed everything. Killed everything with Swagger. Killed everything with Zeb Coulter. Then you had Alberto Del Rio being sort of a baby face. It was just WWE took, you know you know the phrase I always say over the years, you take chicken shit and try to turn it into chicken salad. Here is something where WWE was in the midst of making a beautiful plate of chicken salad and they turned it into chicken shit. My name is Zeb Coulter. And I am Jack Swagger. 
And we are real Americans. We believe in the First Amendment. We say the things that need to be said, whether people want to hear them or not. We are here to prevent this once great country from eroding into bankruptcy, both financially and morally. We believe in some very simple principles. We believe that if you live in this country, you shouldn't speak Spanish, Chinese, Arabic, German, or hell, even Pig Latin. You should speak English. We believe that real Americans are struggling to find jobs because people from other countries are sneaking across our borders and are willing to work for next to no money. They're stealing jobs from real Americans. Thieves. And we believe that if you sneak across our borders and are in our country illegally, then you should leave. And if you don't want to leave, well, that's where Jack and I come in. We will make you leave. And we believe that the world champion of WWE, Alberto Del Rio, is a perfect example of the problems that plague our country. Which is why Jack Swagger is going to beat Alberto Del Rio at WrestleMania, win the world title, and begin to set things right in this country. But Jack won't be alone. He will have an army of support behind him. We, the people. Hey, Glenn Beck. What you just saw is what we call a promo. It's a scene we record to elicit a positive or negative reaction from our fans. See, we are entertainers. My name is Jake Hager. And I'm Wayne Cowan. We are performers for WWE. Zeb Coulter is the character I play. Jack Swagger is the character Jake plays. We aren't in the political business or the immigration business. We are in the entertainment business. Everything we do as our characters is designed to tell stories. Right now, the story we're telling is that Zeb Coulter and Jack Swagger are using the current relevant and topical story of immigration to target the WWE world champion, Alberto Del Rio. Also a character played by my friend, Jose Rodriguez. In our story, we are the antagonist, and Alberto is the protagonist. Glenn Beck, <laughs> you recently referred to WWE as stupid wrestling people. Really, Glenn? Seriously, really? By implication, you are referring to the 14 million stupid wrestling fans who are watching our shows every week in America and our global audience in over 145 countries. 20% of our audience is Hispanic, 22% is African American, 35% is female, and we equally reach all major age groups, including 25% over the age of 50. Being in the television business, Glenn, you should know the popularity of Monday Night Raw. Monday Night Raw has been on the air for over 20 years and is the number one show on USA Network. We have about 60 characters on our show, a lot more than, say, NCIS or Glee, but we're not that much different. Some of our characters are really likable and some are detestable, good guys and bad guys. We don't use guns and we don't depict murder or rape typically seen on primetime dramas. Our program is PG. We look forward to continuing to tell provocative, funny, dramatic, and sometimes controversial stories with characters of all backgrounds and beliefs. 
Many of your followers are WWE fans, and they understand the difference between reality and entertainment. Are you out of touch with your audience, Glenn? Or are you just a stupid political commentator? Mr. Beck, we cordially invite you to Monday Night Raw in Dallas at the American Airlines Center this Monday, where you can deliver a five-minute unedited rebuttal to our global TV audience and a sold-out crowd of 12,000 stupid wrestling fans. So now, let's get back in character. <clears throat> you see, real Americans like Zeb Coulter and Jack Swagger won't stand for the systematic, methodical destruction of the country our forefathers built. Alberto Del Rio is part of this problem, and we're going to fix it. We the people. How fucking pathetic is that? To, it's just one of the dumbest things in recent memory. I mean, it's up there. My top five over the last 10, 15 years in wrestling, that's in my top five of some of the stupidest decision-making that WWE did. This is no fault of Jack Swagger, no fault of Zeb Coulter in any way, shape, or form. WWE, the way they fucking handled this was pathetic. Now, to make matters worse, <laughs> the same week, all right? Keep this in mind, the same week. In the midst of all of this, Jack Swagger, while he's driving in Mississippi after, I think, a SmackDown taping, he gets pulled over, hit with DUI, marijuana possession, and speeding. TMZ picks up on the story. And, you know, for those that are curious, in June of 2013, they found uh, Jack Swagger guilty of DUI and speeding. The possession charge had was dropped. He was sentenced to six months of unsupervised probation, fined about $1,500, and ordered to participate in an alcohol substance education class for first-time offenders. To talk about a fucking horrible week for Jack Swagger. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of, you remember, I, I mean, it's, it's different circumstances. You remember when they gave the ball to RVD? WWE's version of ECW. They had all the momentum with one night stand and everything else. And then RVD and Sabu were pulled over by cops and they had, I think, marijuana and some stuff in the car. I mean, it's not on the same level, but man, I mean, this was just a horrendous week in 2013. On the bright side, though, this week, same year, 2013, WWE made this announcement, which I'm sure some of you are absolutely going to love. And ladies and gentlemen, right now we want to introduce you to the latest celebrity honoree in the WWE Hall of Fame. Money, 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 money. Money, 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 Business mogul, best-selling author, reality television star. His outspoken personality and inherent business acumen has made him one of the most powerful men in the world. Donald Trump has been one of the biggest supporters of WWE since the 1980s. As WrestleMania was becoming a global sensation, the Trump brand skyrocketed to new heights, and the master of the art of the deal orchestrated a huge business merger. Everybody in the country wanted this event, and we were able to get it, and that's a great honor for Trump and for Atlantic City. Tom was a businessman, so he thought that WrestleMania could bring something you know, to Atlantic City and to his casino that had not 
been there before. He was right. WrestleMania 4 created such an economic boom, the Donald doubled down and brought WrestleMania back to Trump Plaza the following year, marking the only time a venue has hosted consecutive WrestleManias. But it would not be the last time Trump made history on WWE's biggest stage. Billionaires, the hair versus hair match. The showdown between Donald Trump and Vince McMahon at WrestleMania 23 caused a media frenzy, and celebrities weighed in as to which billionaire would lose his famous locks. I'd like to see Donald get his head shaved. You gotta see, you know, the Donald bald, Donald Trump. Donald's absolutely. Trump's a businessman. He didn't get into this deal thinking he was gonna lose. In front of a record-setting 80,000 fans at Ford Field and one of the largest pay-per-view audiences in WrestleMania history, both tycoons pulled out all the stops to prevent a hostile makeover. Hey, look at this! Oh, segment and I realized that WWE didn't have too many people on their roster making comments about Donald Trump and I'm sure the haters out there well it's because nobody likes Donald Trump uh that's not I'm just repeating what went down wrestling history blah 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 but if you look back at that time they had announced Mick Foley Bob Backlund Trish Stratus and Bruno Sammartino for the WWE Hall of Fame, and then they had Donald Trump. So that year is one of probably the strongest years as far as a Hall of Fame class. Think about it. Foley, Trish, Bruno, and Backlund, and then you had Trump and some others. It's a pretty big year for WWE Hall of Fame. Happy anniversary to The Miz and Maurice. It was this week in 2014 that they got married. Also, this week in 2014, WWE Network officially launched in the United States, and Hulk Hogan returned to WWE, announced he would be the host of WrestleMania 30. This was the first time that we saw uh, Hulk Hogan on WWE television since Raw, 15th anniversary show in December 2007. So we hadn't seen Hulk Hogan in over six years. Gonna wrap this up momentarily. 2015 at the Fast Lane pay-per-view event for WWE, Sting challenged Triple H to a match at WrestleMania 31. 
That same week, the widow of Visser, and I remember Covenant's pretty detailed. She files a lawsuit against WWE blaming punishment in the ring contributed to his death. And look, just go back to the Don, Tony, and Kevin Castle show for 2015 for this week. Listen to that episode. We covered it in detail. And, you know, I, I remind everyone, and I'm not saying that she didn't love him or anything like that. But if you're just curious as to what Viscera's wife looked like at the time, it looked like an oddball marriage. And again, I don't want anybody out there saying, oh, an obese person can't marry an attractive woman and really love each other. I'm not saying that at all. But you look at her and she, at the time, it gave the impression that she was out just for money. Sorry, but that's just an opinion. I'm not saying that it's fact, but blah, 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 blah. 2015, the same week, WWE's doctor, Dr. Chris Aman, filed a lawsuit against CM Punk and Colt Cabana in Cook County Civil Court, claiming that his reputation had suffered a big blow at the result of their comments. Remember CM Punk and Colt Cabana doing that little podcast and having some really, really harsh shit to say about WWE's doctor, Aman? Well, he uh, sued CM Punk and Colt Cabana, seeking $1 million for compensatory damages and an undetermined amount of punitive damages. Finally, 2016, on Monday Night Raw, Triple H destroyed Roman Reigns, beat the fuck out of him to set up WrestleMania. Why do I always remember that moment? Go watch it online. I put up the clip on my Twitter this weekend as well. During the beatdown at the announcer's table, uh, after Triple H bounces Roman Reigns' head on the table about 20 times, Roman Reigns' hand is basically doing a finger gesture like, come here, come here, give me something. Give me that, give me that. Then you see, and this is, I mean, seriously, WWE should have fired the fucking cameraman or somebody, whoever's in production at that time should have said, camera eight, camera eight, get the, get that fucking camera off of Byron Saxton. Roman Reigns is, is in front of Byron Saxton, laid out across the announcer's table. Picture this, if you've never seen or if you forgot about it. The cameraman is behind Byron Saxon. You see his back. You see Roman Reigns' hand, his fingers are moving. Not to be like, hey, my finger's numb or not. No, he's basically giving a single signal to Byron Saxton to give him something. Byron Saxton then proceeds to give Roman Reigns a blood capsule. Roman Reigns then puts the blood capsule to the mouth, bites on it, and you can see pretty much everything. Fucking horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. And, you know, look, there's so many reasons why a lot of people out there don't like Roman Reigns. The old fucking... Um, Bugs Bunny promos, WWE forcing them down people's throats, people feeling that he shouldn't be in a position that he's in. Yeah, I always said way back when, before he even became popular, WWE was going to give him the John Cena push, which people at that time didn't know what the hell I was talking about. Now people get it. But man, one after the other, after the other, after the other, things that happened that just made, rubbed you the wrong way towards Roman Reigns. Is this Roman Reigns' fault? No, maybe it should have been done a little bit more discreetly. Maybe Roman Reigns should have had the wherewithal to realize that there's cameras, you know, obviously on him, getting his head 
trounced into the announcer's table that maybe he should have just crawled on the floor or just fell down for a moment or two. Maybe Triple H should have done, done something or done, did the DX chop or something to get the crown and the cameras off of Roman Reigns for a second. Maybe Byron Saxton should have you know done something to get the cameraman's focus away from there. You're in Look, we're playing Monday morning quarterback. So, of course, we can make all these judgments after the fact. But when that went down, it was fucking horrendous. But there is a little consolation. That night, we had the return of Shane McMahon. And look, do I really need to remind everyone of that night? I don't think so. But let's do a little summary anyway. Shane McMahon came out to interrupt a moment where Vince McMahon was giving Stephanie the Vincent J. McMahon Legacy Award. I can't remember the middle initial, Vince Sr., but the Vince Sr. Legacy Award. Shane comes out. Basically tells Stephanie that Shane and his father made a little bit of an agreement. Shane wanted to come back, take over Monday Night Raw. Shane's telling Stephanie that the ratings suck and look at the the status of Monday Night Raw and her and Triple H are on a power trip. So Shane is back. He wants to take control of Monday Night Raw. Vince McMahon gives Shane a stipulation, which Shane agrees to, that if Shane could win one match, he will get total control on Monday Night Raw. So Vince goes ahead and announces Shane McMahon versus The Undertaker. WrestleMania, hell in a cell. So that ended up being the case. Now, we know the outcome of WrestleMania and what ended up happening with Shane now on SmackDown and blah, 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 blah. But it was this night, 2016, Shane McMahon made his very surprising, memorable return to WWE. Again, I'm not going to play the segment because it's a half an hour long. But instead, for an enjoyable two and a half minutes, I figured I'd share everyone, be reminded how cool the Detroit crowd was towards Shane that night. First off, thank you so much for that. 
Yeah, what's up, Detroit? And finally, it was 2017. Naomi, due to injury, was forced to relinquish the SmackDown Live Women's Championship. Very emotional moment in the, in the ring at that time. I'm sure a lot of you remember it. This led to a match between Alexa Bliss and Becky Lynch to determine the new SmackDown Live Women's Champion. This had Alexa Bliss winning that match. And we know the rest, WrestleMania, Naomi would be back in time, recovering from the injury and regaining the title. So everything ended on a positive note. And with that, I will leave you all with, on a positive note. Notable birthdays this week. Those who are celebrating birthdays who are no longer with us. Happy birthday, Nature Boy Buddy Rogers. Big John Studd. Mr. Pogo. Rhonda Singh. El Hio Del Cien Caras, And Sean O'Hare. Happy birthday. Antonio Inoki turned 75. Ric Flair, 69. Dos Caras turned 67. Tommy Cairo. Age 60, Max Muscle, 55. Bass Rutten, age 53. Gato, happy birthday, age 49. Super Kahlo, 47. Francine and Tomoko Watanabe turn age 46. Tiffany turns 45. Danny Doring, 44. Gail Kim, 41. Carlito, 39. Shinsuke Nakamura and Tyrus turn 38. Sick Boy and Ty Dillinger turn 37. El Torito and Maria Canellis turn 36. Happy birthday, DJ Gabriel, Dan Barry, and Wes Briscoe. They turn 35. Corey Graves, Bobby Dempsey, and Mike, Mike Seidel, the brother of Matt Seidel, turn 34. And finally, happy birthday, Killian Dane and Crimson. They turn 33. Notable deaths this week. We lost George Hackenschmidt and Mighty Joe Esposito at age 89. Cyclone Negro at age 80. Sweet Hansen, age 68. Moondog Splash and Bruiser Bedlam at age 51. Luther Lindsay at 47. And the tragic death due to suicide, the Renegade, passed away this week at age 33. And with that said, we are done with this episode of This Week in Wrestling History. Please, as always, send your feedback. Tell me what you think of it, what you like, dislike, what you want me to add to it. You can follow me on Twitter at DonTonyD, the website DonTony.com. Facebook.com slash DTKC show. If you want to email me, it's dontony at dontony.com. And if you like what we do and you can't get enough of it, or if you want to help us pay the bills and keep us in business, give our Patreon page a shot. It is patreon.com slash dontony. You have so much exclusive content there, podcast, contest, interaction. It's just an awesome page. And you go there. And you won't regret it. For as little as five bucks, you could sign up there and enjoy it for the whole month. And check it out. Patreon.com slash Don Tony. I'm out of here, everyone. I will be back next week with your next edition of This Week in Wrestling History. Take care, everyone. Ciao. Cloud is powering tomorrow's transformative missions. Federal agencies are partnering with SAIC to help them meet these critical moments where bold moves require confident blueprints where you can accelerate transformation through consistency, where you can innovate forward and never look back. SAIC quickly and securely migrates large-scale workloads to the cloud with the confidence you need to assure your mission. Learn more at saic.com cloud. 
So we're here at Marshall's with Liz for some holiday shopping. She's really nailing it this year, isn't she? Oh, yep. She's got a record player for Amy. A gorgeous cozy sweater for Jason. And some hot pink fluffy slippers for her sister. The perfect gift. Wait a sec. <gasps> She's getting a pair for herself. Well, with prices this good, it would be rude not to. You know what? She totally deserves it. Oh, totally. Happy holidays, everyone. See you at Marshall's. Fabulous brands. Feel good prices at, at Marshall's. Marshall's.